All right, I want you to notice what it says in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 2. It says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And that is a very uh, strong title given to these guys of wickedness. And what's sad about this is these men were the priests. Eli was the high priest of Israel. They were supposed to be holy men, holy people. They were, they were, it was their job to teach people the difference between the holy and profane. They were to be the example to the people of Israel, but these men were sons of Belial. They were very wicked men. And it says, and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came in thither. And before they burned the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now. If not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now, this is foreign to us because we are not familiar with this practice. We've never done an offering like this. It's hard for us to even picture what it looked like. But understand that during this time, these practices and these ceremonies and things that they did, they were to be done in a very specific way according to God's law. And the sons of Eli were doing it in a way that just benefited them. So I think the best way to compare it would be like with the Lord's Supper. All right, we, we observe the Lord's Supper here traditionally. And how would you feel if, you know, when it came for the Lord's Supper, which is a very sacred and it's a very special thing, and then instead of me, you know, divvying up the bread and the grape juice like we normally do, I'm just up here chowing down on it all myself and making you just watch. And I'm having a good old time. And, you know, you just be like, that's not how this is supposed to be done. And then not only that, but then next time we have the Lord's Supper, I do the same thing. And you're just like, you know what, this is getting stupid. This is not how the Lord's Supper is supposed to be done. You know what, we're not going to the Lord's Supper next time they have it at the church. And now, you all are in disobedience. You're not observing the Lord's Supper. But at the same time, too, it's kind of my fault. Because I am perverting... And if I ever start doing something like that, just go find another church so you can be obedient. But understand, back then during this time, they didn't have another temple that they could go to. They didn't have another high priest that they could go find somewhere. And notice that this sin was grievous because they, it caused men to abhor the offering of the Lord. The offering of the Lord, it was not an optional thing. The people were supposed to be doing it, but they were dependent on these priests. And folks, aren't you glad we have a better high priest, Jesus Christ, that doesn't do any of this stuff? Thank God for that. But understand, under the, during this time, it wasn't like that. And now they are, Israel is in disobedience. Verse 22 says, Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of all your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. Well, what were they not doing? They weren't bringing the offerings. They weren't coming to the tabernacle. You know, who wants to go to the tabernacle when the priest is going to be trying to commit adultery with your wife? I don't want to go to that. 
You want to know how many people today are not going to church because leaders in the church are perverts? Because leaders in the church are committing adultery, molesting people? These are horrible, these are horrible sins. And, he, and Eli goes on to say, if one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. And what I want to preach about today is, I want to preach a message on why it's hard to get people into church. We are a soul winning church. We are out regularly giving people the gospel. It is easy for people to get saved. But living for the Lord can be difficult. Being obedient can be hard. It's work. Getting people plugged into a church and getting them to start living for the Lord and to change their life is difficult. Salvation is easy, but discipleship can be very hard. Jesus, uh, with His disciples, He told them about persecutions and difficulties they were going to go through. And He told them these things so they wouldn't be offended when those times came because it's very easy if you're being a disciple of Christ and you're receiving persecution and you're going through battles to just get discouraged and quit and not lose your salvation but become unfruitful. It is hard. It's easy to get people saved. It's hard to get them to become fruitful. And so, I want to start out by saying that everyone should go to church. Okay? Let's just face it. Everyone should go to church. You don't even have an excuse like they did in Hophni and Phineas's day Okay, if you, if you know, there's other churches you can go to if you need to. There's other places you can go, and you know, I'm just I'm not interested in hearing people's excuses when they don't go to church. And I'm not even saying that there is never a reason for anyone on the planet to not go to church. There are situations people can't help, but I am saying that if somebody needs my approval, you know, then it's probably because they're feeling guilty because they are in disobedience. In Hebrews 10:24 and 25. It's very clear the writer of Hebrews has explained many things that have changed. He has explained many things that have gone away. The sacrifices are done. The earthly priesthood is done. We have a new high priest, Jesus Christ. Many things have changed. But you know what? Let's not forsake everything. Let's not change everything. And he said in verse 24, "...and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together." You know what he's telling these Hebrews who had a practice for thousands of years of assembling together? He said, don't forsake that. Yes, I am asking you to get rid of the sacrifices that you used to do, that you've been doing for thousands of years, and to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But you know what I'm not asking you to do? I'm not asking you to forsake the assembling. I'm telling you, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves, as the matter of some is. But exhorting, but and so much, uh, exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So understand, this is something we're supposed to be doing. God expects it from His people. And if you are physically capable of getting to church, I believe you ought to do that. I believe it's important. But again, in this story, we see God's people were transgressing God's law and they were disobeying Him. They, the people were disobeying Him. But you know what? It was because of reprobate priests. But they still were in disobedience. They still were in trouble. Israel ended up coming under some pretty severe judgment during this time. But these people were not completely without blame. And so there are, there are many reasons why people don't go to church that is exclusively their fault. I mean, it's just their fault. Some people, they just can't get out of bed on Sunday mornings. Some people, just they have no organization in their life and are not capable of just 
following a schedule and showing up for something uh, on a regular basis. But, you know, I do want, and I'm not going to talk about those things today, but I do want to talk about the reasons that I think we are capable of contributing to. I think if we're not careful, and I think this is the case in many churches today, and I think we work hard on not doing these things, but I think there are many things that God's people are doing in churches that are causing people to abhor the assembling together. And again, if these priests are violating everything that God said to do in the sacrifices, I can see why people had a problem going and doing those sacrifices. If they're laying with the women that show up to the tabernacle, I can see why people had a problem going there. And let me tell you, there are, there are reasons I can see why people are struggling with the idea of going to church. And we need to make sure those things never happen here. Because if that happens, first off, we're going to be held accountable. They're going to be held accountable too. And again, if these things pop up, you still need to go where you need to go. But I want you to note, first thing, the reason I believe many people, saved people, are not going to church or why it's difficult to get saved people in church is because we are letting the lamp go out. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in 1 Samuel 3, in the very next chapter, it says, And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see, and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. That the job of the high priest, one of his jobs, was to always keep the lamp lit. That meant something. God wanted that lamp lit. That was what they. That was his instruction. And you know what? It is our job today not to keep the physical lamp lit, but it is our job to let our light shine. It says in Matthew five fourteen, "Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven." So notice how we let our light shine. We let them see our good works. We have to let them see our good works. If they aren't seeing our good works, we're not shining. We've got to be doing good works. James 2.14 What does it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful for the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. You know, we talk a real good game about the faith that we have. We talk a real good game about how we believe the Bible. We believe every word of it. We believe in the preservation of the Scriptures. But if we're not practicing it, if we're not doing it, why should anyone believe or take it serious? If we say the Word of God is the final authority, but we are not doing the things that God's Word said to do, and people are capable of reading and saying, hey, your works aren't matching up with your faith, you know what? They're going to get discouraged. They're going to get turned away from us. So understand, if we as a church, you know, I believe we have a good doctrinal statement. But you know, who cares if our doctrinal statement's good if we don't actually live it, if we don't actually practice it? If we're here telling everybody, we believe the Word of God is preserved, and then they're reading the Bible, and we're not even obeying it, do you realize that'll mean nothing? Yeah, but I got faith. Okay, well, that faith is going to mean nothing to those people if you don't have the works to back it up. 
I believe we ought to love our neighbor. But yet you never love your neighbor. You're mean to your neighbor. You hate your neighbor. Why should anybody take what you're saying seriously and understand there are a lot of churches that are giving lip service to the inspiration of the Scriptures, to the authority of the Scriptures, but then they're not doing what it says. They're literally in disobedience. I mean, you know, I'm glad the Southern Baptists made the right decision, but it's insane that there was even a debate and that there was even any kind of split over women pastors. So, well, you know, you got to understand the day and age we're living. I don't care the day and age we're living in. I know what the Bible says about that subject. I know what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear about that. And it shouldn't be a debate. Do we believe the Bible or not? Is the Bible the final authority or is our culture the authority? Our culture says men and women are virtually the same and they don't even know what the difference is. Our culture says that they can do any role in the church that the man does. Our culture says men can have babies. You know, our culture is saying all these things, but our Bible says something completely different. And you know what? It might rub some people the wrong way. It might cause people to look at us in a negative way. But at the end of the day, how can we tell people salvation is by grace through faith and that it's not of works? How can we tell people these things? And the word of God is what decides, even though most of the world thinks you have to have works in order to be saved. And we're going to go and we're going to claim all that. And then people are going to come into our church and they're hearing us. Yeah, he's using Bible to prove what he believes about salvation. But then we get to that part where Paul's writing about not suffering a woman to speak, nor to usurp authority over a man, uh, you know, about a bishop being a, uh, the husband of one wife. And then they let a woman get up and do the preaching in the church, a woman be the pastor in the church. These people don't believe the Bible. They just take the stuff they like and they leave everything else out. We've got to have works that back it up. And not even just the stuff, okay, and, and I'm mentioning stuff that we like, okay? You know, we've all got that part down. But again, how about just with behavior? You know, behavior that we struggle with, with anger, with gossip, with envy, with strife, contention, all these things. These are all things that the Bible says a lot about. And if we are not implementing these things in our life, and if, if people come into a church and it's just a hostile place where everybody hates each other and everybody's at each other's throats and people just gossip and backbite and are doing all these things. Why in the world would, why would anybody want to come to that? Nobody wants, nobody wants to be a part of that. And I get it. People ought to go to church. And churches are going to go through times where, you know, maybe there's some sin and, and, and churches backslide and we should always be trying to, you know, get right with God and have a revival. That's going to happen. You know, churches are going to get on fire. They're going to get things right. And then slowly they're going to backslide. But, you know, they're going to get things right. And, and we need to make sure we stay faithful and consistent. We're always trying to be a force for good throughout all of it. But just understand when we backslide, when we're doing wrong and we're not dealing with it appropriately and quickly, we're going to hurt people. We're going to turn people away from something God called them to be a part of. And they are in disobedience. And we contribute to that. Contributed to that. They do not, you know, they're... They are not completely without fault, but we are not completely without fault either. And we need to make sure we're doing the good works. And let me tell you, if you're not doing good works, it's because you're doing bad ones. Well, I'm just neutral. I just don't do either. No, you don't. Okay. We're all, we're, you're doing one or the other. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. 
which are these. So we have the spirit that we need to walk in, but we have the flesh that's always trying to get in the way. And all of us have the flesh. I don't care how saved you are, you have the flesh. And if you're not walking in the spirit, you know what that means? You're walking in the flesh. Well, how do I know if I'm walking in the flesh? Well, the works of the flesh are manifest. It will show in your life. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit... Okay, the what it will be man if you're walking in the spirit, it will manifest itself. What will it manifest itself with? With the fruit of the spirit, love. People need to feel loved in church. I don't. You know, and listen, people are going to come to church. They're going to have a lot of sin in their life. They're going to have a lot of issues and things that they're dealing with. Let us always, let us always stand strong against sin, but let. Let it always be known to all who come through these doors that this church cares about them, loves them. They need to feel it. We need to prove it. I said it before and I'll say it again. It is amazing what you can get away with when people know you love them. When people know you love them, they'll put up with a lot of stuff. But when people aren't sure you love them, when they think you hate them, they're sensitive about everything. Joy. you, You can't fake joy. Okay, you know what? It's creepy. Four smiles are creepy. You ever seen those family pictures? You know, they've been trying for 30 minutes to get you to smile and all the kids are just there. You can't fake that. There's, there's no joy in that. It's, it's cre- it, it looks creepy. And, you know, and there's, there's, pe- there's churches where it's like, okay, yeah, you know, joy. All right, that means sing loud. Uh, you know, you know, that joy, you know, and there's, there's like all these just like outward things. And then it's just like, you know, you watch it and it's just, it's fake. That's not joy. Listen, you can't fake joy, folks. You either have it or you don't have it. If you don't have it, it's because you're not walking in the Spirit. I recommend walking in the Spirit. Peace. Long-suffering. You know, you're, long-suffering. You're gonna, if you're walking in the Spirit, you'll put up with people. If just everything irritates you about everybody and just, you know, you're just anxious to drive people off because they're just annoying and you'd rather fill our church with personalities that are exactly like yours... You're not walking in the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, you're long-suffering. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. We have to have these things. And if we do, we will be a help. We will be a blessing to others. They need to see these things. They have every right to expect those things. And if we don't have those things, we will drive people away. And so as a church... We need to constantly provoke each other to love and good works. Titus 3.8, this is the faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Pastor Tommy, why do you preach about our works all the time? You know, we're not saved by works. Uh, I know that, but we've already got you saved. So you know what we're supposed to do after we get you saved? We're supposed to affirm constantly that they which have believed... Okay? I'm not, I'm not going to preach the same thing to the people out there who are trying to get saved that I'm preaching to all of you. No, I'm preaching to you that have believed. Those of you that have believed, we are going to affirm constantly that might be careful to maintain good works. Great, you're doing good works now. I'm going to have to keep bugging you about it because we've got to maintain it. We've got to keep it going. Why? These things are good and profitable unto men. 
We need to profit people. We need to help people. We need to be good to people. And so, this is an important thing. And you know, don't make a pastor feel tempted to just feed you spiritual junk food all the time. You know, I, I'm sure, you know, and what is some spiritual junk food? Well, you know, just, you know, there's, there's just the weird, spooky stuff that we could talk about. You know, you know, we can talk about Nephilim all the time or even debunk the Nephilim. You know, I could just call out false prophets all the time, throw somebody in hell every week that we don't like. You know, we could, you know, that, that's spiritual junk food. Okay, that, that doesn't, that doesn't really, that doesn't help any of your spiritual walk. I'm all for some of that every once in a while. Okay, I'm for a banana split every now and then. But if that's what you get three meals a day, you're going to have some health issues. And I'm all for a banana split sermon every once in a while where we just cream the sodomites or something like that. But at the end of the day, most of the preaching should be about helping you all maintain good works. That's what we need. That's that's real hard preaching when we do that kind of thing. And what we, we should avoid, foolish questions, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable in vain. Pastor Tom, I need you to preach a sermon deciding whether or not, you know, this preacher is going to heaven or hell. It's just like, you know, I'm just not interested. I get, I get asked that all the time. People ask me, like, what do you think about this YouTuber, that YouTuber, what they say in salvation? I don't even know who they are. I, I, I don't even know who these people are. And it's like everybody's preaching against them. So I don't even know who these people are. You know, but, you know, I, I, think, I think that's just cotton candy type stuff. And, you know, and I said, so I'm all for some junk food every once in a while. I'm not saying I'm never going to do that kind of thing. But if that's all we're doing, if I preach a 12-week long series on this person exposed and that person exposed, I'll bet you won't come out of that a better Christian. I won't, you might come out entertained. I, I was thinking about that this morning, about pre, the preachers in my life who have had the biggest impact on me. And did you know, all the people I was thinking of, especially from when I was younger. It was, it was really just preachers. I was thinking about some of these older preachers who I just saw as these spiritual giants who just loved me, paid attention to me, g- genuinely cared about me, knew who I was. It had a huge impact on my life. And even though these guys are still in heaven that I was thinking of, it still has an impact on me today. And then I think about other preachers that I used to listen to, and I was like, that I used to listen to a lot. And I'm like, they weren't really influential. They were entertaining, right? I'll name one preacher who I used to listen to a lot. And, I, and when I think about my life, he had zero impact on it. He had zero influence. And that was Phil Kidd. Some of you know who Phil Kidd is. I used to listen to him all the time. You know why? Because he was entertaining. I loved hearing what he had to say about the sodomites. You know, that, that it, was, it was entertaining. It was fun to just listen to him cream everybody. But the, the preachers that actually had an impact that motivated me to do good, it was men like Jack Parchman. It was men like Dwayne Rutherford. Uh, it was men like Jack Thompson. It was men like Jerry McDonald. The, I'm talking about when I was a little kid. These guys, all they did, all, I don't even really remember the sermons it was that had an impact. I just remember I saw these as just great men, godly men, and these guys, whenever they would see me, they knew who I was, they knew my name, they would come shake my hand, they would give me a hug. Jack Parchman, whenever he would come over to our house, he would watch the Three Stooges with me all the time. Every time I'd see him, he asked me if we had any new Three Stooges movies. And he just, he paid attention. And, and because I saw how much he loved God and how much he loved lost souls and devoted his life 
to winning souls to Christ and, and preaching the, the gospel to people, it made me want to do that. It was never, I'm telling you, I can't think of a sermon that he preached that made me want to go and do all those things. But I'll tell you, his life, his love for me made me want to do those things. And every once in a while when I think about him, and when I think about Jack Parchman, I think, I, anytime he, all of a sudden it's like I'm reminded, hey, have I preached about hell lately? Because he always, he preached on hell all the time. And he was always telling preachers, you need to preach on hell. And if I, if I haven't preached on hell in a long time, saying, man, Brother Parchman, he'd roll over in his grave if he knew that. And, 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 I, and I care. Even though he's in heaven right now, I care about what he would think about how I'm serving the Lord and what I'm doing to reach the lost. And it's not because of his preaching. It was not because of his doctrine. I don't even really remember. It was because of his love for me. That had the biggest impact on my, on my life. And I'm telling you, we could have a big impact on people. if we. And isn't that exactly what God said to do? What are the two great commandments? Love God. And that's the, these, people, these people love God. You know, you know, Dwayne Rutherford, I don't even really remember. I, honestly, I was like 9 or 10 years old, I remember, when he was at our church. But I still remember that guy because I, did, I, just, I saw him as this evangelist, a spiritual giant. And he, he would talk to me. He would have conversations with me. And he, and it, he, I remember he, he listened to my guitar playing. He played the guitar. He listened to my guitar playing. And he just thought my guitar playing was great. And we did a special together. And I thought it was so awesome. And then a while later, we went to a camp meeting. And he was going to do a special. And he asked if I would play the guitar with him at a camp meeting. And I got to go up as like 9 or 10 years old in this camp meeting in front of all these people. And with Dwayne Rutherford, I played the guitar. And I got a picture of it, too, to prove it. And I still have it. And... I think about guys like him and men like him still motivate me. He's been in heaven for a long time and I don't remember anything he ever preached. I I really don't. I just remember the way he treated me. I remember the way he he cared about me. Those things stuck in my head. Jerry McDonald. This isn't even what I was planning on talking about. I I think this is important. I think you need to get a hold of this. I, I, I remember... I did. I just, I saw him. He was like this cowboy type. He had a ranch, they had a, a boys ranch out in Oklahoma. And I just, I saw him as just like the toughest guy in the world. And I, and, and he was kind of scary too. You know, he, he ran a boys home and when you're running a boys home where you've got guys with a lot of issues, you got to be tough. And I watched him get on guys a few times. And I would think, man, if he ever got on me like that, I would probably just pass out right there. I, I was sitting in a service one time. And all of a sudden, I saw him turn around. He was way, way up in front of me, and he's like, turn around, and, and he's giving this dirty look. I thought he was looking at me. He was just getting, I mean, the look was terrifying. I froze when I saw that look. And then, like, while the guy was preaching, he got up out of his seat, and he started walking my way. It was a good thing I'd gone to the bathroom, because I'd have probably wet my pants. Before, you know, I was terrified. And then he proceeded to walk, and then started to chew some guys out right in front of me. He was looking at the guys right. I don't even know what they were doing. And it just different. But you know what? That guy, whenever I would see him, you know, I, 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 saw, I saw him as this famous preacher and everything. He always knew who I was. He would always talk to me. He was, all, he was always real kind to me. Just, just paid attention to me. And you know what? When you're, when you're a young kid, that kind of thing has an impact. And you know what you do? You say, I want to be like that. I, I, I want to I be like that guy. And, and then when I, was, when I got older... 
I remember going to see, going to listen to a big name preacher. Big name preacher. I was going to go here and preach. I'd heard about this guy. He was legendary. A lot of people come to see this guy. I went and saw him. We got there early. I saw him sitting at the front all by himself. This is my chance to go meet the superstar preacher. I went up there to meet him and he acted like, what are you doing bothering me? He sat, he was sitting there with his head down, went to talk to him, went and shook his hand, introduced myself. He just kind of looked up, just kind of dead fish, handshake with me, stared at me like, why are you talking to me? And I was like, awkward. And I walked off. And I still don't like that guy now. <laughs> I just, zero impact. But you know what? I will listen to his preaching every once in a while. You know why? Because he's entertaining. He's, he's entertaining. He does crazy stuff. And it's kind of fun to watch. But is he influencing me to stay on the old paths? Absolutely not. He's given me five reasons to jump off the old paths. But I'm telling you, the, the, these things are important. And you know what? What a shame it was when Hophni and Phinehas, these priests of God, are doing these wicked works and causing people to hate the things of God. And what a shame it is when new Christians come into a church and God's people who we're supposed to be being a light, we're supposed to be being an example, and what are we doing? Treating people terrible? Treating them wrong? That is not good. That's not good. We need to be profitable to people. And I'm telling you, I think the way we treat people, us showing the fruit of the Spirit, it will probably have more of an impact on what people will do after they come through these doors than even the preaching. The, the preaching... The preaching that I do needs to be accurate. It needs to be from the Word of God. I work hard to make sure my preaching is accurate. But who cares if my preaching is right if nobody's following it, including me? Who cares how good my doctrine is if I'm not practicing the doctrine? And we are. We're so obsessed with getting that good doctrinal statement, which is important, but if we don't live it, it's going to mean nothing to people and people are, and all it's going to do us having a good doctrinal statement, me preaching things right, it's just going to be revealing all the things we're doing wrong if we're doing things wrong. So we've got to get these things right. It's so important. But another thing, uh, look at what it says in 2 Samuel. Well, we're not going to read it all again, but notice it says verse 13, and the priest's custom with the people was this. It goes on to explain the custom, the practice that they were having. We're not going to go through all that again. There was a way the Bible specifically outlined these things were supposed to happen. And, you know, I believe one of the reasons a lot of people are leaving churches today, and I hope this isn't why people are leaving our, would leave our church and not want to come back to our church. I, but I do think one of the things we're up against is I think there's a lot of genuine people out there that we talk to and we knock on their doors and we invite them to church who have been turned away from church in general because they have gone to churches where the practices are not according to the Word of God. Listen, if someone is saved, they have the Spirit of God in them. If someone is saved, if the Word of God is going to connect with the Spirit that is in them, if they go into a church that has a corrupted Word of God, a perverted Word of God, that is not going to set well with the Spirit of God that is in them they're going to know something's wrong. It, the, the Spirit of God, it will not connect with the preacher who is not preaching correct doctrine from the correct Word of God. 
You want to know why a lot of genuine people don't want to come back to church? Because every church they've ever gone to, the things that have been going on in that church have not lined up with their spirit that, is, that was born of God. It's not lining up with the Word of God. The doctrines, the practices, they know that they shouldn't be seeing a rock concert in a church. I'm talking about the genuine people. There's a lot of people who go to church to get their soul fed, who want, you know, who want their emotions to be fed and to feel good. And they go into church and, oh man, that music, that was fun. That was enjoyable. That preach told an emotional moving story. Oh, that was really great. Oh, the coffee's good in that church. You know, there's a lot of things you can do to feed the soul. But no, listen folks, our soul has, still has issues too. It's our spirit that was born of God. It's our spirit that doesn't sin. Our soul, it has issues. It's all over the place sometimes. I'm, gonna, I'm planning on preaching some messages on that pretty soon. Our flesh is always bad. And understand, most people are going, in, going into churches today, are, they're going in for the flesh or for, uh, for the things of the flesh and the things to satisfy their soul, but in a negative way, in a way that's not of God. Those are all over the place. Those people are not going to like this church. But I'm not interested in them. I'm interested in them whose spirits have been revived by Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes them a long time before they get to churches like ours. And I believe if we are being obedient to the Scriptures, if we're preaching it right, if we have the right Scriptures, we have the right practices, when those sincere people come through, it will connect with them. And I think we'll be able to keep them coming back but understand, I don't blame people for being skeptical because most churches are not doing it right. They're not doing it right. A vast majority of the churches, even in this area, aren't even using the right Bible. Why in the world would these people think that's going to help them? It's, it's, it's not in their mind. And so we've got to make sure you know, we keep these things right. And so, and it's like the leadership in churches often act like the congregation's stupid, like they're not capable of reading their Bibles. And I get it. In these sensual churches, in the coffee shop churches, in the country club churches, the people aren't reading their Bible. They're, they're not doing that, or they're, they're definitely not reading the right Bible. But at the same time, you know what? If people are, the Bible is not that complicated. People are capable of reading it and figuring out doctrine. If they are saved, they're not going to have any trouble with that. And in the, with the things that they do, it's like they think nobody in their church is reading their Bible. And maybe they're right. But you know what? Some people are, and they're, getting, they're being turned away. And now they think all church is bad. They think all church is garbage. And that's not true. You know, and think about most of the foolishness going on in churches. Today. People are not going to believe they are required to participate in those things. Folks, if you were a newly saved person, and you walked into one of these Pentecostal tongue-talking churches... And people are out running around, getting slain in the spirit, doing all that stuff. You're going to get freaked out. And you're going to leave. These weird worship practices, the dancing, the emotional stuff. How about just the major guilt tripping they do? Not even allowing the Holy Spirit, just guilt tripping. Some of the altar call manipulation things that go on. Just lame performances compared to worldly performances. Hey folks, we're not going to be able to compete with you know, these superstar performers. We're not going to be able to compete with that stuff. And you know, we don't need to. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 23, if therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say, ye are mad? He's like, hey, watch what you're doing. You're going to give people the wrong idea. 
you're not doing these things right. And understand, one of the reasons a lot of people don't want to come into church today because they've seen some weird stuff. If you've gone to some of these Pentecostal churches, you've seen some weird stuff. If you've gone to some of the Catholic churches, you've seen some weird stuff. Nobody wants to do that hocus-pocus incense stuff and you know, go and drink it out of the same cup everybody's drinking out of and then go in and telling the priest everything you did wrong during the week. That's not even biblical. But yet, that's what people associate church with. A guy in a robe? A guy in a dress? Who wants to see that? Nuns? You know, does it, who wants their daughter to be a nun? You know, I, I want grandkids. You know, I, 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 we don't. That's not, folks, that stuff's not right. Yet these things are being promoted and people associate that with church. It's not good. Churches are full of wicked leadership where a lot of times preachers are getting rich off the people while not doing anything of any real value. Hophni and Phineas were making themselves fat with the Lord's sacrifices. And people had a problem with that. They're not able to do the things they're supposed to do. They're not getting anything from it because the priests are just consuming everything on themselves. And often, preachers do the same thing. And then, you know, we wonder why people don't want to go to those churches. You know, I mean, look at these mega church pastors and you see some of their just mansions and, you know, their swimming pool that costs more than everything I've ever owned. I mean, just, it's, it's insane. And, you know, people are going to look at that and be like, I don't think Jesus and his disciples live like this. I remember Peter saying, silver and gold have I none. You know, I mean, I remember seeing all that will live godly in Christ, you shall suffer persecution. The world loves these men. And, but yet, these are mega churches that thousands of people go to, and that's what a lot of people think church is. You know what they're doing? They're turning people away from the things of God. And these people, like Eli, like Hophni and Phinehas, they are sons of Belial. But you know what? They are holding positions of pastors and priests or whatever. But they're, it's, it's not right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. People are often preyed upon by wolves without any consequences in many places. And understand that's how it was with Hophni and Phinehas. Eli, the Bible says he restrained them not. It's like, well, he was telling them they shouldn't do that. Okay, yeah, he told him he shouldn't do it, but he didn't stop them. He should have stopped them. He was the high priest. The people knew how bad they were. If Eli would have said, take my sons and stone them, they would have done that. But he, he didn't do that. He, did, he, he didn't do any of that. And so you know what? God took him out and God took Eli out too. They all ended up suffering as a result of it. Second Peter 2.12 says, but these as natural brute beasts Make it made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things which they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are, blemishes, sporting themselves their own deceivings, while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way, and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And let me tell you, the Balaam preachers out there, they are becoming more and more common, and we wonder why people aren't interested in going to church. If you've had an experience with Balaam, that's a tough thing to get, get over. I can understand why people have a tough time. I can understand why people have trust issues. If you trusted a guy so much that you were, you were willing to go into a little booth and tell him all your sins... And then that guy turned around and went and molested your kid. I understand why you have trust issues. I understand that. 
I wish these people understood they never should have went in that closet and told that guy all their troubles. But understand too, you know what? It's, it's no different even in a lot of Baptist churches where you know, preachers, they'll, they'll hold things over people's heads and, and you know, use fear and intimidation to control them. That is not how these things are supposed to be. And we need to understand offenses do real damage to people that will devastate their lives. Matthew 18, 7 says, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. And people need to have thicker skin for sure. Boy, this generation, they don't even have any skin. I mean, they're just... Everything destroys them. Everything is hate today. I disagree with you. You hate me. You know, I, I, disagree. I, I think this is wrong. I think this is a sin. Hate preacher. I, you know, I, don't, I don't understand that. You know, but yet that's, that's the generation that we have today. But you know what? We do need to try to be careful not to offend. Obviously, there's some things we can't help. I've talked about this before. But if we can do something to not offend, we ought, we ought to try it. But understand... We, we are living and we have raised up the most easily offended generation ever. While we have the most pathetic churches that Christianity has ever seen. And we wonder why people have been turned away from church. We shouldn't be surprised. Now, if you, if you can get, and if, I hope you get a lot from this, but here's another reason too. Never let the clowns out there who act like people... You get saved out soul winning who don't come to church probably didn't really get saved. Okay, that, That's ridiculous. I can understand why it's so hard to get some people into church. Look at what's going on. Look at the kind of preaching that's going on. You got a lot of people out there, they were confident about their salvation until they started going to that preacher's church and then he had them confused and had them getting saved every week. You know, it's, I can understand why people, why people don't want to go to a lot of churches. So we need to make sure we remember that this ministry that we have is for the Lord. We are supposed to be taking care of His sheep. We don't just represent Liberty Baptist Church, but we represent Jesus Christ. And we've always got to keep that in the forefront of our minds. What we do has an impact on people. I, and I, I want to get people saved, but I can only accomplish so much. How much more could we accomplish if every soul winner discipled another soul winner. I mean, that's, that's when things really start growing. That's when you have that exponential growth. Thank God for, for every soul winner. But boy, if we could maybe put in a little extra effort. I think, I think every soul winner ought to have the goal of discipling another soul winner. I, I think, that, I think that's, a, that's a great goal. And you know what? It won't be easy. It won't be easy getting that person saved. And with their chances are, in America, they've got a lot of experience in church and they've probably got the wrong idea. It's going to take a lot of work to get them in here. But if you can get them in here, you know what? And they become a soul winner, that's double souls getting saved because of that. You keep soul winning, you're getting people saved. But now you've got a new person out doing the same thing, getting people saved. And then if he disciples another soul winner, man, it just, that's how things grow, folks. We really, we, and we really need to work on this. We've we got to get a hold of this. And so we need to keep these things in mind as a church because we aren't perfect and we need to be willing and ready to fix anything that needs fixing. But we also need to have patience because we are trying to be 
a biblical church in the midst of community fund centers claiming to be church. In the midst of all these places claiming to be church that aren't really church. When we go and we invite, you know, when you go out and you invite people to church, you know what you're picturing? This. But understand when you say, hey, I'd like to invite you to Liberty Baptist Church, their mind is going, it's not going to this place. It's going to a place where they probably had some horrible experiences. It's going to a place where they were probably treated really bad. A place where they heard some really bad doctrine. A place where they heard some really weird practices. And what we need to do, if we can get these people saved, first of all, then, you know, we start showing them the Word of God. And it was, the, the Word of God is going to connect with their spirit. And, and if they can learn to start feeding that, walking that, it's going to change everything. And so, keep on, keep on doing the work. Keep on winning souls. And, but don't get discouraged when you don't see thousands of people come to church as a result of your efforts. It's, 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 a, it's a tough thing. It's a tough battle. But we're still getting people saved. But let's keep at it. Keep working. And take, put that extra effort in to getting them in the house of God. So let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for those who took the time, Lord, to not only give us the gospel, but also to uh, motivate us to become better Christians, the people who loved us, cared about us, uh, who were a good example to us, that made us uh, want to be better. I pray you'll uh, help each person in here to think about who those people were in their lives, and I pray you'll help them to be that to someone else. Everybody, Everybody needs someone like that. And I pray that we will not be self-centered, that we won't just uh, be, be incapable of seeing past the nose in our own face, but we'll be aware that people are watching us, that people need us, that somebody out there uh, respects us and, and looks up to us. And so help us to always watch what we do as a result. And so we can uh, be a good representative of you. In your name we pray. Amen.